all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hey, welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is Mike Slatman. I'm your host. I am a 45-year-plus expert fire investigator. I was honored to be the International Association of Arson Investigators president, so I'm a past president of that. And I'm an IAAI certified fire investigator. And I'm here with my co-host, Donna Ingram. And I'm a past director of the IAAI and have almost 30 years' experience in the insurance industry, particularly insurance fraud, fraud and fire. Okay, and, and today I want to start off by saying something that's very um, important to me to say. Um, there is a, a hearing, a sentencing hearing coming up in Kansas City, Missouri at the federal courthouse um, for uh, for one of the perpetrators of the explosion and fire that killed six firefighters um, in Kansas City in 1988. Um, this is there's a movement to have firefighters, police, and other people in private and and public investigation to attend that that hearing uh, to show support for the fallen firefighters, their families and the police service that, uh, that caught these guys. Um, the hearing will be at 9 a.m. on February the 15th in the seventh floor Judge uh, Gall- Gallatin's uh, courtroom at the federal courthouse in Kansas City, Missouri. I would urge any firefighters uh, and police and private investigators, I will be there um, and uh, many more of us will be there to show solidarity with the fallen firefighters. I remember that very well. I was living down in Argentina, and it woke me up. And I was in on the Kansas side of the border, and it actually woke me up. And I have had the memorial that the one of the firefighters drew a picture of on my wall since that happened. And it's something that I look at. And, you know, you walk by now and then, and you see things. But once in a while, I'll actually stop and really, really tear up because it's one of the reasons that I've stayed with this, that I have stayed interested in this. I learned very quickly one year into this career that uh, fire means can mean death. Um, and arson, arsonists, even though not targeting specifically people, cause death. And these, this, it was a horrible thing. It was horrible. So if you firefighters, police, and, um, and private investigators, and even the general public, if you will show up at, uh, at 9 a.m. on February the 15th on the seventh floor of the Kansas City Federal Courthouse, uh, Judge Gallatin's courtroom, to show solidarity with, solidarity with the fallen firefighters and their families, uh, uh, please do so. Okay, now today we're going to have we're going to have two great guests today. Uh, I'm going to say that even though I've Kirk, worked with Kirk Hankins, uh, R. Kirk Hankins, for over 25 years, and and he is a good friend of mine. So he's a past uh, past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators. Also, he's our regional manager and senior investigator with Fire Consulting International, and is um, 
has been was with uh, our prior firm, Consolidated Forensic uh, Investigations, as a regional manager. He's a former Boone County Sheriff's deputy and a retired police officer from the Columbia Police Department. He he was the primary fire investigator for them, and uh, and was responsible for all explosion related incidents and post blast investigations. He's a member of the. IAAI, of course, uh, and a certified fire investigator uh, with the IAAI, and he's a member of the Institution of Fire Engineers. Um, he's an instructor on both police and fire, um, uh, uh, teaching um, uh, fire investigations, explosions, and he's also um, been certified by the um, uh, Missouri Division of Fire Safety, Safety and, the, um, and the Missouri chapter of the IAAI. Um, He's, he is also, and I, this is very important, he, he was the chairman of the CFI committee for a number of years and is still co-chairman, but he's also, uh, because he has so many um, responsibilities, he's the steering committee chair for the IAAI CFI trainer.net uh, uh, modules. As you fire investigators know, that is where you get training in fire investigations. So I'm going to say hello to Kirk. And then we're going to introduce our second guest. I also want to add to that that I served under him um, on the Missouri chapter IAAI board way back when in the early 90s. And not only is he a mentor for me in in my career, but also with the international, uh, we, we doubled our membership. We brought the international to the state of Missouri. We did amazing things, so that I just can't speak high enough of this man. Well, after that great praise, hello, Kirk. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Just fine. Fine. Well, you sound really good. Uh, and so what we're going to do, Kirk, if, uh, we're going to introduce uh, our, our next guest, and then we're going to ask you guys some questions. So um, if you'll just stand by for a second. Is that all right? Certainly. Okay. All right. Now, our second guest is is Kevin Savage. He's a he's a he's an ex ATF agent, uh, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosives agent. He was a police officer before he became ATF in Champaign, Illinois, and uh, and he was an ATF agent from 1990 to November of 2015. He began uh, private sector investigations in early 2016 for this firm, Fire. Fire Consulting International. He's been a member of the IAAI for over 12 years, and uh, the International uh, Texas, uh, the international chapters in Texas, Missouri, and and Kansas. Um, and he's a uh, currently a board of uh, board of director for the Missouri chapter. Um, he was working for 15 years in uh, in firearms and narcotics traffic tra- trafficking in South Texas. Not doing it, he was stopping it and and he um, he was an he's an ATF IAAI uh, ATF CFI as well as an IAAI CFI and um, that of course is a is a is a wonderful achievement and so uh, he has worked um, I don't know how many fires but uh, he is he is now working with us and we appreciate it are you there Kevin yes I am <laughs> and good afternoon and thank you yeah. for the distinction on the uh, drug trafficking uh, yeah, well, I'm, yeah. Part of my career. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, I just wanted to make that clear, just in case somebody thought that you were running guns or or drugs. Thank you. Okay. Good. Yeah. Well, anyway, Kirk, we're going to go with back with you for a second because um, 
first of all, your you know, age before beauty, and then secondly, because you have so much uh, so much uh, experience. Um, as IWI uh, chairman and co-chairman of CFI committee, will you explain uh, what uh, the CFI program uh, is and, and how people can get that if they're fire investigators? Certainly. Um, basically, a IWI CFI is an individual that has obtained what we believe is the highest international recognition as a fire investigator. The certification program involves completing an application uh, which addresses every uh, job performance requirement for the standard NFPA 1033, the standard for professional qualifications of fire investigator. And it's based on their education, their total work experience, their specific training related to fire and explosions, and their past expert testimony. Uh, we require that the training and work experience has to be directly related to fire or explosion investigations, as does their uh, expert testimony. The process and the test is accredited uh, through the National Board on Professional Fire Service Qualifications, or the Pro Board, and it recently became accredited by the Forensic Specialist Accreditation Board. Uh, certification is the distinction here in that a third party has examined our process and the testing, and it's the easiest way to guarantee that an individual has met all the JPRs of the standard that applies to fire investigation. I see. And it, it, it's the hardest one to, to obtain, is it not? Because there are other certifications, both state and, and other organizations, correct? That's correct. Uh, the one thing that separates uh, our certification above the others is that we have a mandatory requirement that you have testified as an expert and provided uh, opinion testimony in a legal setting, and that testimony has to be related to a fire or an explosion investigation. Uh, we feel that that is the uh, one distinct area of the uh, certification that goes above and beyond what other certification programs offer. Not to take anything away from the other ones, we just feel like ours is a uh, a little bit higher and uh, just basically due to the minimum amount of time that you have to practice in the in the field and the items that you have to uh, document. Well, and speaking of above and beyond, you're the steering committee chairman for the modular training for fire investigators literally all over the world. Uh, what, what does that encompass for you? Well, the IAAI was very fortunate in uh, obtaining one of the assistance to firefighter grants administered through FEMA and the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, with that grant money, we specifically uh, requested, and uh, as part of our application process, we developed a platform whereby we can deliver uh, online training free of charge via the internet to fire investigators. Uh, the primary goal was to start uh, with the basics, and to a certain extent, uh, most of the over 50 modules 
uh, are geared towards the basic or the incoming fire investigator. Uh, there are specific modules that are topical and address uh, beyond the basics level. But with the economic climate that has existed for the past several years and our federal mandates and other statutory mandates for required training uh, and with department's training budgets being slashed, uh, this is a most economical way that we can provide professional uh, accredited training to the uh, service industry. Uh, right. We use <clears throat> subject matter experts that we seek out that assist us in the script writing and the researching that is done. We have a professional production company, uh, Stonehouse Media, that uh, produces all of the modules for us and has technical writers that uh, assist us in development of the various programs. Right, and so, but at the end of those things, you're not a, an expert yet, are you? You have to keep continue your training, of course. No, there is. There's no single course that you can go to uh, that would uh, allow you to take the certification exam. As I said, the, the certification is based on your total life experience, work experience, education, testimony, and as part of the uh, I don't say it, it hasn't been mandated yet, but I would hope that at some point in the future, uh, most of the professional qualification standards uh, will have something in that that requires recertification training. Uh, and that is one of the other items that sets the IWI certification apart is the uh, requirement for recertification every five years. Now, the That's modules that we offer on CFITrainer.net do qualify for that uh, continuing education and training. Uh, and today, right. a lot of we have over 88,000 people from every country in the world that are registered users on the platform, and we're very proud to have delivered over 1 million hours of training to uh, people across the country and the world. Right. Right, I, I heard there was over 120 countries that had signed on there. But um, uh, let me ask you this: you, you've you've had a, a long career, and and uh, we're continuing to keep going. You and I. Um, you, do you have got a good, interesting case that you can tell uh, tell us and the listeners about it uh, briefly? Because uh, we don't want to uh, go on for very long, because uh, then we have to get to Kevin. Okay. <laughs> Well, I don't know how interesting it is, but uh, I investigated a, it was an obvious propane explosion, uh, all the indicators of a propane leak and uh, an explosion. It was in a mobile home that had had a shell built around it and lots of renovations done. It had the only gas, uh, propane gas appliances were two ventless fireplaces, um, and we put people on notice, and we did the testing. And when we did the pressure testing, we couldn't find a leak anywhere. And it had us all kind of stumped as to where this source of propane could have come from and the supply lines. In one of the living rooms, uh, the homeowner had probably had over 100 family photos <laughs> uh, nailed to the walls, and every photo had been displaced uh, 
through the overpressure of the explosion. So we're just sitting there scratching our heads trying to figure out what we're going to do next and what we're going to do to try to find out where this leak was. I just happened to lean up against the wall, and uh, I could hear air from our, <laughs> we were using the pressurized lines leaking. Well, if I hadn't had leaned against the wall at that specific point, I would have never heard that. Uh, long story short, we did a bubble test. We had uh, soap bubbles coming out, a nail hole in the wall, and when we cut the wall apart, we found the nail had punctured the gas line directly behind that wall. Uh, so even though we had all of the testing equipment available, it was uh, just happenstance that uh, somebody happened to lean against the wall and use the one of the human uh, Senses, huh? investigative yeah. tools we have, hearing, and uh, heard the leak before we even saw it. It's it's amazing. It goes to show you uh, accidental things happen that can cause fires. Um, um, Yeah, I I had one in in, um, Omaha where they where they actually um, they were hanging up a picture and they punctured a um, an old BX cable and uh, and caused an electrical short that caused a a fire behind there. So uh, and then um, was there any injuries in that in that uh, in that explosion? No, there was no injuries in that one. It was a very uh, low-order explosion and uh, uh, didn't result in uh, very much property damage or, or fire damage uh, either because of the, the magnitude of the of the explosion. Uh, Got it. But speaking of, of tools, you know, that there's been a lot of talk lately about the use of canines. And, uh, you know, canines are valuable tools and can help you speed up your scene processing. But, uh, you know, Canines are humans, too. They need to rest. Uh, we were doing a very large fire scene, uh, followed ATF in on this one, in fact. And it was definitely a incendiary fire scene. It was at a uh, hair and nail salon, beauty spa, uh, hot rocks uh, treatments. And uh, <laughs> they had a room, had 10 rooms with little massage tables in them where they did all this heated rock therapy. And... Uh, I'm running the canine through each one of these rooms. He's jumping up on the the examination beds and hitting on the sites. And I realized that she needed a break when about the fifth room we got to, she jumped up on the examination table. She alerted to the sign and then took a big dump on the table. So, <laughs> you know, technology does wonderful things for you, but, uh, you know, you gotta, you got to remember how to use it properly. And in this case... You know, I forgot to give the dog a break, and she reminded me of it. Yeah, well, I'm, I thought you were going to tell me that you gave her a massage. She jumped up on the table. And I, well, never mind. Anyway, so I'm glad you're here that, <laughs> that you and I believe the same thing, that dogs are human, too. And, well, and Go ahead. <laughs> I don't even want to go there. <laughs> I'm just going to stay out of that one completely. There's nothing I can add to that. I'm just glad it was the dog that did it, not a. <laughs> yeah, if you saw our pre-show. Uh, anyway, uh, that's something, uh, Kevin. I was going to ask you about an interesting case before we get into a little bit further about public versus private sector. I am certain that you have one. Um. I've got one. I guess it goes back to um, kind of crossing fire with, you know, the criminal side. Uh, early on in my 
my fire career down down the border, uh, I was called to a, a, a vehicle fire, which was out in the middle of the country. I was called by the sheriff's uh, office, and it was kind of in the back of my mind asking, well, why were they calling an ATF agent, CFI, but still an ATF agent to a car fire? Um, so I get out there and we worked the, the the fire and or the car for a little while, and we popped the trunk, and there were the remains of it, uh, at least two uh, bodies, you know, human bodies in the in the trunk of the car. And you know, at that point, it it was a fire fire investigations are important on both sides of the fence when it comes to uh, just basic criminal activity and then down there dealing with the cartels and how they deal with the people that cross them. Uh, it was kind of a, a sobering uh, event at the time and uh, also very impressive as to uh, what can happen to a human body given the extent of a full car burn in the middle of the night. Um, it also had one where uh, two police officers responded to a domestic and when they chased uh, the individual back into the house about 3 o'clock in the morning, unbeknownst to them, he had a gas can in his hand and while he was running through the house, he was also pouring gas behind him on the floor. When the officers pursued him into the house, he got to the end of the house, reached down, or he uh, ignited the mouth or the, the spout of the gas gasoline can and basically turned it into a, a Molotov cocktail and threw it at the first police officer, engulfing him in, in flames. And uh, remarkably, this officer not even being ever being in this residence before made his way into the bathroom and into the shower and turned the shower on and put the fire out. I mean, he was fully involved. He had gasoline in his mouth, and it was a it was a terrible scene. Um, but we did over a year. We did a full scene reconstruction, and it took him a year to recover. And he actually participated in our our scene reconstruction and burn tests, and testified in in court uh, against the person who did that to him. Uh, and that individual wound up with uh, two life sentences for attempted murder of uh, police officers. It's, uh, thank you for bringing that one up because you can actually be charged federally um, and actually get the death sentence, can you not, if for, for murder? That, that is what we were, were pushing for, um, but uh, leniency, uh, again, we weren't, we weren't satisfied even with the two life sentences, of course, <laughs> but... Um, uh, that is the way it turned out, and, and overall, it was a satisfactory result. But it, it took a, a lot of work with a, uh, a team of a lot of people over a long period of time to put it together. Okay, so and, and okay, so then, well, let me ask you this now: you have um, you're a we're ATF agent, and you worked uh, down in Texas a lot, and uh, the cartels you 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 brought them up. Uh, did they use uh, fire? 
uh, as also a, an intimidation factor or uh, just the severing of heads like I've heard on Washington TV? <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't want you know people to think that the entire border is a, uh, you know, just a not nice place to be. But when you work there uh, for 20 years, you see a lot of what most people do not see. And yes, there are, like you just said, heads on posts occasionally. Um, but no, uh, fire is something. Uh, you, Border Patrol would, you know, call the Sheriff's Department or ATF because they knew I was now a certified fire investigator. And there would just be burned bodies uh, laying out next to the river. Um, the reason behind them, definitely don't know. Uh, and, they, and then they used, uh, I won't get into the details of some of it, but they would use items to accelerate fires to make sure they got a complete burn of the body so the bodies could not be identified in any way. Um, so in addition to shooting and stabbing, uh, fire is definitely a, a use for their torture and disposal of witnesses and uh, people who stole from them. Uh, informants, you know, we've had we had several several informants that would disappear, and we would eventually find them. Uh, right. <clears throat> you know, as a result of a, somebody finding a burned body. Right, and but in many cases they were still able to um, to identify the uh, the the, uh, the victims, correct? Because through pathology and stuff like that, uh, teeth uh, matching and stuff like that, right? Yes, because uh, as we know, uh, a body will not completely burn, you know, unless it is, I mean, intended to completely burn. So there, there was usually um, DNA and other um, sources of identifying uh, bodies. Right. And so, um, well, I thank you for that. Um, thank you for that information. We're, what we're going to do is we're going to go to break here in a moment. And when we do that, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Kirk because he has a lot of, um, he's got a lot of uh, experience as a bomb squad leader. And we're going to talk a little bit about bombs. And uh, and then later we're going to talk with uh with Kevin again about uh, that his experience and also with uh, um, about um, his transition from from uh, ATF to to private and with Kirk uh, from uh, police to private. Um, so please come back at uh, to us at uh, speaking of fire. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. 
FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for listening. Uh, I know that both of you, Kirk and Kevin, have extensive training in explosives and bombs. And Kirk, as a, you were a bomb squad leader. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, basically, we conducted uh, post-blast investigations, uh, disposal of uh, old and recovered explosives. And uh, being from a college town, we have lots of labs and uh, research facilities and uh, did a lot of old chemical uh, disposals. Um, we conducted uh, render safe procedures on uh, actual explosive devices, uh, did a lot of training for other agencies, uh, specifically for sp- explosive recognition, uh, bomb threat response, uh, how to handle bomb threats. And uh, during election years and other special events, did a lot of VIP protection uh, work with uh, Secret Service and uh, the military and other agencies uh, because prior to Oklahoma, uh, there were very few bomb squads in the in the country. Uh, a lot of the bomb squads would work with other uh, neighboring bomb squads. Um, that was kind of the relationship I had with uh, the Highway Patrol, if they would be someplace else in the state handling an event and something local would come up, then I would assist in that. Um, so basically, we never knew what we were going to do. <laughs> uh, just depended on uh, the environment and what specifically happened at any given day or time. Biggest question, do you have all digits? <laughs> Yes, I can still count to 20. <laughs> I'm not saying that that makes me an extremely good tech. It just makes me a careful one. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, and and, uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, we don't want to be mad at Kirk because we have to start our car sometimes. He's, he's told me that before. <laughs> and uh, that uh, you don't want to be, didn't want to be mad at you either. Uh, Kevin, uh, what about uh, you? Did you actually uh, work some, uh, do you work with EOD teams with like uh, uh, Army or anything like that when you were uh, at the ATF? Uh, with ATF, I 
did a lot of work. Um, at the time, we would have been the, the McAllen, Texas bomb squad. We went out on several um, explosives recoveries and assisted with uh, render safe and just uh, primarily the destruction on my part and then any post-blast investigation that needed to be done. Um, carried that on up to Springfield, Missouri, and worked very well with the Springfield, Missouri bomb squad, um, working uh, on identifying suspicious uh, packages and uh, render safes, and did a lot of uh, teaching as well down on the border um, with the Mexican nationals, uh, their federal police, their prosecutors, and also coming up again, back up in here to Springfield, uh, teaching numerous post-blast classes due to our current environment. Um, it's a it's a class that is highly sought, and people like Kirk and others and myself are uh, highly sought after to to give those types of types of classes. And big question for you: How about you? Have all your digits? Got all mine. I got twenty-one, just like Kirk. Both are golden. They're golden, but you're apparently doing it right. Um, Kirk, we had at, at the International, we even brought in the Israelis when, uh, in Washington, and they did a class on um, explosive vests. And, and uh, it's my feeling that we, uh, there's still more to come here in this country uh, of uh, terrorism. Um, when you were a, a bomb tech, and you've, you've, you're highly trained, um, did they? I imagine the Department of Homeland Security uh, gives a lot of uh, training in terrorism uh, response. Do they not? Yes, they do. Uh, on the on the bomb tech side, uh, we were required to go back for recertification training, a uh, week long training, and basically what that training consisted of was one week of nothing but test to make sure you still retained your skill levels, uh, built into that week-long testing was briefing on uh, trends, if you will. Uh, we spoke about devices that had recently been deployed or come across and kind of got a briefing on what to expect in the future. Uh, needless to say, uh, because of the emphasis placed uh, especially post-Oklahoma City and uh, the other major events, uh, 9-11 being one of them, um, we had started responding or stepping up our our uh, response to future events in the way of technology, um, you know, chemical uh, threat analysis, uh, protocols for dealing with all of the uh, letters, uh, contaminated letters that were being sent out, you know, with the, uh, some of it was ricine and uh, the other uh, biological type weapons. Uh, but, you know, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, you know, the, the, the technology is great, but you have to, you have to know how to use it and you have to trust what it's telling you. Um, yep. Right, and and let me ask you this: um, you 
So you're no longer on uh, on the bomb squad now. You're, you've totally transitioned over to uh, private investigation. Did your did your training as uh, in the in public service um, and uh, the bomb squad has that helped you, uh, you or assisted you in your your private investigations career? Uh, most certainly. The uh, the science is the same whether you're working for public or a private. Um, you know your what you're looking for. Uh, differs, you know your 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 scope of your of your work. Uh, of course, on the on the public side, you're you're looking at the the uh, if there's any criminal offenses involved, and on the private side, we're looking way beyond that. Um, but the science is the same. Uh, the hopefully the protocol that you use is the same regardless. Um, and you have to you, you have to learn to stick stick by your guns and, and go where the evidence is telling you to go, regardless of any pressure that you're getting to, find, to do otherwise. Um, I recall one specific case when I was uh, working on the public side, uh, responding to an explosion at a gas station. And it was quite obvious that the explosion occurred inside a pickup truck that was parked on the parking lot. Um, called other agencies to come in to assist because of the size of the scene. Uh, processed all the evidence, and our determination was that there was all of the components to a device were present in the in the pickup truck where the seat of the explosion was, uh, but they weren't hadn't been put together yet, and hmm. uh, we decided, you know, that at that point it was nothing but an accident. It looked like someone had been trying to figure out how to build a device, and it went off on them. <laughs> Six months later, uh, the intelligence unit is talking to a informant who had been approached to try to uh, assist some people in robbing a uh, branch delivery truck. Come to find out through that informant and the guys that were trying to recruit him, they originally had planned to use a bomb that the guys that, that were going to help him blew themselves up when they were trying to design the bomb. So <laughs> there's an example of the evidence telling us what we thought happened and resisting uh, the pressures to make it into a criminal offense at the time when we didn't know what was going on. And the evidence, the forensic evidence, uh, proved to be true. But we didn't find out about it until almost a year later. I think it's great. I I think it's great that sometimes God works to uh, to stifle some of these bombers. I want to both self-adjudication there as well. Yeah, yeah, we kind of like that. You both, basically, most of your career has been as essentially first responders in that you're saving lives, property, you're you're going after criminals and and going after prosecution of criminals. Talk to us about being a private. Who hires private investigators such as yourself? Good, Kurt. Um. Well, our major clients are insurance companies, uh, whether that be the claims manager or the adjuster or someone from the company. Private individuals will also hire us when they want uh, an opinion about a a fire loss or a boat explosion or uh, a fire in a vehicle. Uh, Businesses uh, will hire us if they've been the victim of a a fire. Uh, And, of course, uh, attorneys either working for uh, on the civil side of things uh, through 
litigation and uh, subrogation actions and for attorneys that are prosecuting and defending people who have been charged with a crime. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, it's an adjuster that gets a hold of us, and uh, it may end up being reassigned to subrogation or uh, uh, a other legal, uh, in-house legal attorney. Uh, so who we report to might change from, and that might not be the person who initially hired us, but uh, basically anybody that uh, is interested in finding the cause of a event, uh, those are our potential clients. And keeping that in mind, Kevin, what have you seen is the biggest difference between, say, report writing between private and public? As far as, as to what part, I'm sorry? The, oh, it, whether it be report writing or it, I know that we approach things in a systematic way, but what, what's the what's the one thing that stands out to you that, that you saw different from when you were public to private? Well, the, fir- the first thing that was kind of comical is, is that I, it, was, it was the first time that I realized I wasn't a, I wasn't a cop anymore. Uh, I was mm-hmm. I was on a scene to, uh, as Kirk said, find the facts and deliver those findings to the company that hired me to be there. Um, and I was answering, realized I was answering to different people. As an agent, I was answering to a potential U.S. attorney or state prosecutor, possibly a defense attorney. And a judge. Um, I, I now see that I, I answered obviously to whoever the, the client directly is, but subrogation became a huge word in my vocabulary when I started on the private side. That being, you know, I knew the word and I knew what it meant, but usually we only heard it during training and didn't pay a lot of a lot of it attention to it when we were on a scene because, as Kurt said, on that side, we're looking to see if there's a criminal act that had been um, uh, affected on that scene. And when we determined that there wasn't one, we we left. Um, now I'm the person who is coming in behind that investigator, and now I am looking for what happened in a different in a different light, and that's that was the biggest change to me, and is to getting used to not looking for things that I mean, you still look for them because that's just what we do. But your uh, your interests in what you're looking for have have changed, and right. the documentation of it, and the, the writing of the reports are drastically different. Right, and we, in fact, of the matter is, and, and we all believe the same thing, and whether we're public or private, and that's we're truth seekers, not case makers, which that comes out of our code of ethics for the International Association of Arson Investigators, and so we're going to tell the truth about what happened, and uh, and if it's a product, uh, the subrogation is if we would go after the product now, um, if now that we're the private investigators are the ones that is it. Uh, 
Gavin, is it not true that private investigators go more deeply into, you know, like product liability, things that go wrong so that we can get those things off the street? Is that correct? And that is correct. And it's it's something that on in my previous life, again, I was aware of, but didn't appreciate uh, as much as I do now. Um, I started paying attention to a lot of things in my personal life after becoming a private sector person as to items that I would personally purchase for use in my home that I knew to be safe. And it's because somebody on the private sector identified maybe this product as being unsafe, which may have caused a fire. And that was reported and companies pay attention to that and they make, they make their adjustments uh, to make a, a safer product for us all. Right. And right, because police and fire departments uh, are and ATF, when once they determine there wasn't a fire, um, it wasn't a criminal act, then they generally don't pursue that. In fact, uh, we warn fire departments not to try to take that toaster down to the station and take it apart, because what what they're doing is they're they're risking being sued. Uh, by the manufacturer or, or even the, the insured, uh, you know, if, if they ruin the, the evidence that it's a, um, a defect in there. So um, it's not that the, the public uh, people don't care about that. Uh, they identify a lot of things, too. It's just that they don't have the, the expertise and they don't have the resources to bring in the engineers, which we're going to be talking about next, next uh, week, as a matter of fact. Uh, but... Uh, but Kevin, did you? How do you, how do you like working with? Uh, then we're going to go back to Kirk. But I wanted to ask one question: How do you like working with engineers? Uh, at uh, very much. I I had brief ex- um, exposure to working to with engineers while I was on the national response team with ATF, uh, but it really wasn't a one on one because there were usually on one side of a structure while I was on the other side. Uh, getting dirty and digging something out. Uh, here, uh, you know, it's one-on-one, face-to-face, watching what they're doing, um, and I'm finding that I'm learning a lot about, um, for example, uh, external wood-burning stoves for homes. We didn't have a lot of those in South Texas. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, in HVAC systems, um, it's just you know things that you don't get you don't get really taught how things really work in a training environment. It's in the actual field when these people come out and do an examination, and you pay attention to them and you learn from them for the next scene, and you'll help you identify uh, failures in something. Uh, the next time down the road. And again, something when I was on the other side, I was really never exposed to. Right. Well, right. I'm glad you mentioned uh, about how things work because with my experience on the on the public safety side, if they determine early on or whenever they make the determination that it's an accidental fire, and let's say it was caused by, they believe it was caused by a uh, cooking range. Well, the national, the natural tendency is, okay. Well, how did this thing malfunction? And the public guys tend to go way beyond their level of expertise to take it apart to see how it failed. 
uh, I find myself, now that I'm on the private side, cautioning against the public guys doing that because they've spoliated the evidence and they don't have an engineer there that's recording all of the data points that would be required to to prove a product liability or to even uh, prove a, uh, a defect in it that would lead to a recall. So while the natural tendency is to find out why this happened, even though it's an accident, you know, it's hard to overcome your natural instincts and leave it alone uh, because I always tell them, I said, look, I'm going to bring an engineer in and you're more than welcome to come back when we do this investigation if you want to learn what went wrong with the thing. Um, and Yes, and you said that and exactly what I was going to talk about was recalls with you because it's more than just the insurance company recouping their money from a manufacturer. It's also about public safety. And, Kirk, I'm, I'm not sure. Have you, you've been involved and been part of the start of a recall, correct? Yes, and, and in fact, several years ago uh, through the international, we did training programs for the Consumer Product Safety Commission, CPS, field investigators on when they initiate a file to look into a potential recall order, you know, where can they go to get sources of information about previous fires with, for example, the the halogen torch lights that uh, when they first hit the market, you know, without any shields on the top of them, mm-hmm. uh, they were starting fires, accidental fires, but they were still starting fires right and left. Um, so we, we were, uh, through our governmental liaison, uh, Officer Mr. Steve Austin, uh, CPS reached out to him. He put him in touch with the IWI. <clears throat> we actually did a training program for them on where they could go get more information about fires with specific products. And we all know, of course, that led to uh, recall investigations. Uh, and there's, yes, and... and it's even as simple as not even a product malfunction. For example, back in the 90s, I was involved with one that just involved a, all that was necessary was a plastic clip to hold the wiring, a wiring harness in a big rig. Had They were experiencing, and of course, we're talking $100,000 fires in these big these big engines um, and all that was necessary was was a plastic clip and it it stopped all the fires yeah you know and you know when when the engineers design these things you know they're you know the lack of putting a clip on that could be a, a design problem or a, definitely a product liability pro- issue mm-hmm. uh, in the case with the torsi lamps I mean it's just a metal shield with an open top and is it a poor design well who knows but the problem is that bugs and dirt and things were getting thrown into that lamp that were then being ignited by the by the halogen light that was inside and the solution was just to put a little shield over the top of it to prevent that from happening Saw it. Uh, we're kind of seeing the same thing with uh you know, the wood-burning stoves, uh, you know, we used to not have an insulation shield around those. And due to the number of fires and the, the, the private agencies and insurance companies reporting the cause of all these fires, then the HVAC uh, 
and the codes uh, agencies started uh, not a really a recall campaign, but they redid the codes to include the insulation shield around high temperature exhaust flues. Yeah, I think that's terrific too. Uh, we've been lucky in our careers, um, uh, and, and particularly with with the company you and I are. are or with, uh, we had the Ford F-150 um, uh, speed control, the activation devices. We had the Chevy um, uh, ignition control, and and each and the National Highway Safety Administration uh, also does um, does recalls on on vehicles, of course. And we've been really lucky, haven't we, Kirk? I mean, to to have this kind of experience. Well, yeah, and you know, when you're talking about recall agencies, you know, let's not forget the Coast Guard. They, they have yep. jurisdiction over some other recall issues, which <laughs> right. you know, at one time I would have never thought about. But uh, do the number of boat explosions and fires, you know, uh, right. it, it's just amazing what's out there once you start looking for it. And I got I got a little bit of a look when I said anything <laughs> about undergarments with the halogen lamps, but I'm here to say that. Nothing is 100% preventable because of human behavior and uh, uh, cleanliness, not cleanliness. I mean, those that was happening, curtains and articles of clothing going into these lamps. So we'll never prevent 100%. Right. And, well, I want to tell you guys, thank you, you both. And, and Kevin, you can you, you stay, stick with us and we'll do some recalls. You'll find some. You'll find some stuff out there. Yeah. Now, look, thank you both, guys, uh, for, for being with us. Uh, we're going to need to close the show now. Uh, Kirk, um, thank you for, for being here, and thank you for your work with uh, CFI Trainer and everything. You're more than welcome. It's been a learning experience for me and uh, a way to pay back. Okay. And, and Kevin, thank you for, for joining uh, the private sector from ATF. And, um, and thank you. Thank you. Okay. Now, uh, next week, we're going to have engineers. We're going to have uh, Lou Biancia. <laughs> I knew I was going to mess that up. Balancia, uh, who is an electrical engineer, and Kyle Minden, who is a mechanical engineer. And they're going to talk about how they examined uh, fire scenes with us and, uh, and, and things that have developed, like Lou developed a, a fuel uh, ignition uh, matrix for fire investigators. Please join us next week for Speaking of Fire. Be safe out there. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.